Hello and welcome to the Cougs and Sport Management Podcast. Our guest today graduated from Washington State University in 2006 after completing an internship with the Tampa Bay Rays. He must have been quite successful as he is currently the executive director of the Rays Baseball Foundation. Welcome, Mr. Stephan Thomas. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So from what I've heard and seen on LinkedIn, you are not the only Mr. Thomas with the Tampa Bay's organization. Yeah, so pretty funny. Um, so I have a, a twin brother. Uh, his name is Stefan Thomas. He also went to Washington State. And uh, he is currently the director of promotions uh, for the race as well. So um, it's kind of actually like fortunate timing of how it all kind of worked out. So, so back in 2006, I had did my internship um, with the Rays and started in January that year and I got hired on the full time. And then uh, my twin brother had graduated the marketing degree in May from Pullman. And then he did his internship uh, with the Rays as well, uh, kind of that summer. Um, he decided that he wanted to go to grad school. So he went to grad school over at Old Dominion University, and then he worked in college athletics for about six years uh, over at North Dakota State University. And then at that time, I had transitioned to like a new role um, inside of the, the Rays organization, and I was just kind of like talking to my old boss, and he was like, oh, wish, Stefan, I just wish I could duplicate you. And I was like, you know, I, I have a twin brother. I can ask him if he's interested. Um, and at that time, I wasn't sure if Stefan really was going to be interested. He had just gotten married. Him and his wife had bought a house in Fargo. Um, but they were, those it kind of worked out great. So he's been here with the Rays organization for, for nine years now. Well, talk us through your career with the, with the Rays. You've been there since you started your internship and since you graduated, talk to us about kind of that path in your career. Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been fortunate. I mean, so I started with the Rays this kind of good timing. Um, it was right at the beginning of an ownership change. Um, so there was a lot of turnover inside of the business and they're kind of recreating, uh, recreating the well, as far as like what fan experience and fan engagement looked like. Um, so they had actually created this new department called Fan Experience, which was going to kind of access all different touch points um, inside of the ballpark, you know, from the, the we, were, we were doing, you know, just kind of weird, fun stuff, like, you know, what scent should the, the stadium smell like when you enter Tropicana Field? And, you know, we did like an orange citrus scent um, to, you know, uh, customer service training implemented to doing this whole variety of theme nights. So, you know, it'd be Carnival Day, then Pirate Day, and especially at that time when the, the Devil Rays are a really bad organization and attendance was still, you know, struggling at that point, we just got this kind of blank canvas um, to like try as many kind of harebrained ideas. Um, it really reminded me kind of, I, I did an internship with the Everett Aqua Sox previously, and it reminded me of that experience where just kind of like, you know, let's just try it out and kind of see what works. Um, and, that, and that was really just a fortunate opportunity for me to to kind of grow and learn and kind of see what works and what doesn't work and kind of get my foot inside of the organization. Um, so from that point, I, so I started, I did my internship actually in corporate partnerships. Um, and then I worked in our fan experience department. Um, then I got a promotion to our um, manager of business operations, um, which is really good because it was uh, directly working under um, our president at that time. So I was kind of his uh, right-hand person. Um, and that role was fun just because it kind of led to a, a lot of like working in different departments. Um, so like whenever there was a special project, whether it be, you know, creating a, um, an incentive program in our ticketing sale department for group sales are, so, you know, handling kind of social media accounts and how do we track social media success? I got to kind of do whatever that special project was, which is a really cool opportunity. Um, and then from there, um, I worked in our uh, strategy and development department. So as our director of strategy and development, and this was long-term planning project. So um, you're kind of opposite of like fan experiences where you're kind of like planning for, you know, that weekend or that game. Um, in strategy and development, it was um, concessions, it was ballpark, it was retail. Uh, it was kind of like my main areas of focus. And 
Uh, and that was really cool just because I got to do some fun things, and especially on, on the TV side. Um, I got to create a, a kids TV show called Raise Rookies. Um, so we did, you know, technically, you know, no background in, in, in TV work, but you kind of working with our uh, our Fox Sports Sun provider and kind of the University of South Florida, we created um, a kids TV show and finding out the host and it was executive director of that show and, you know, did three seasons uh, of that show, which is really fun. Um, and then, you know, I, I think probably one of the, the good experiences while, while all this was happening um, and the, the race organization give a lot of credit is that I was kind of able to cultivate some just passion projects. Um, so I had been um, a mentor at that time for nine years with Big Brothers Big Sisters. I was volunteering for Community Tampa Bay, um, which is an organization um, kind of with the goal of ending racial discrimination. Um, I, I was a volunteer coach at the St. Pete High School wrestling team. Um, so, I was, you know, I was doing stuff at uh, Ronald McDonald House, a lot of different organizations, and all of that was just kind of on the side of my normal duties. Um, and then an opportunity came when our previous executive director of our foundation had left for a job in Ohio. And our, our president asked, like, hey, Steph, and I, we know that you necessarily don't have the, the background in nonprofit work, but we think that this is a role that you kind of grow and, and learn it from. Um, and I jumped at the opportunity, and now it's been kind of, uh, I think this is the beginning of my fourth or fifth year as the executive director of our foundation. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. And uh, I'm very fortunate that really I've been able to kind of change roles every four or five years and kind of grow and reinvent myself and like learn again. And um, I think that, you know, still sets me up good for the future as well. So in your role right now, I was looking online and looking at some of the programs that the foundation does. Which ones are your favorite? I mean, there's kind of a variety. I mean, there's social justice programs. There's programs with athletes working with kids. What are your kind of favorites that the race work with? And I think, you know, primarily from the foundation, we are a grant giving organization. So about 70% of our funding goes back to, um, you know, individual nonprofits in the Tampa Bay area. Um, we, we do run our own programs with the Reading with the Rays and, and a Hormone Club, um, which we, we have a 16 person suite where we um, host family, uh, families in foster care for every game throughout the year. Um, we do a raised jersey program, which is about 15,000 free T-ball jerseys and caps that we distribute to all surrounding nine counties in Tampa Bay. Um, but I, I think the one thing that I, I like, and, and I think it's kind of just a, a fun unique, is that when you get to play like a matchmaker next extent. So like usually in a non-COVID year, we go down to spring training and that's the time where we, we kind of meet the players and get the opportunity to kind of know what they're passionate about. And, you know, we tell them about our community partners um, and kind of what they're interested in and what they're passionate about. And then we just, you know, we, we basically see what the matches are, where you kind of figure out what the connection is. And, and probably the, a good example of this most recently is Brandon Lau. Um, he is our, our second baseman, uh, one of the better players on our team. Um, and he, through his personal experience, had a, had a passion for mental health. Um, and you don't really see that connection with a lot of pro sports um, and professional athletes uh, willing to talk about mental health and willing to kind of uh, embrace that side of it. So he wanted to do something to bring awareness to mental health. So we had a, an or, a, a community partner at the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay that specifically focuses on that. And with that relationship, we were kind of able to create this Home Run for Hopes campaign, where for each home run, he makes a donation, which we match from the foundation. Um, he's willing to do the kind of the interviews and PSAs to go along with it and kind of that social media recognition. And then it kind of creates so some additional funds for the organization, but more than anything, it's just kind of that awareness uh, of, you know, if you need help, here's the number to call, call 211 to kind of have that mental health resource if you're going through some of that crisis. Professional sports have evolved tremendously since you've entered the industry 15 years ago, roughly. Have you seen and been part of the evolution of professional sports and not only just professional sports in general, but baseball? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the, the biggest advancements. So uh, 
the, I feel like at that point, 2006, there was already, you know, Moneyball is out on the baseball app side. So you're kind of that technology. And, and even, even then that has transformed over the, the, the course of time over for the baseball side of it. But on, on the non, you know, baseball side of it, um, technology and analytics are, are just as big on the, the non-revenue side of it, on, on the non-baseball side of it than anything else. So um, I, I think that's probably one of the, the biggest changes from where I started back in 2006 to now is that like, people just wanting to, what is my return on investment? How are you kind of tracking and evaluating success and results? Um, you know, it's, it's really a, how do you evaluate it? And then just kind of that aspect of technology where, you know, we last year was, was going to be our first year moving away from like, you know, we're a cash-free environment. We don't accept cash at Tropicana Field. Um, and a lot of it is, is about the data you're getting about, you know, the customers, um, you know, just that you're getting a higher per cap per person uh, when they're paying on a car versus paying on cash um, and just some of those technology and, and making sure that you have that kind of that full customer database. Um, so, you know, you know, so back in the day, like we, we had created these like platforms of people and it was like, you know, the Pat parent, the, the Fred, our Frederica fanatic, um, you know, basically like, you know, types of fans, uh, but we weren't really sure who that fan was. We know there was a type of fan and we did stuff to try to appeal to that type of fan. But now you can really like narrow down and like, you know, this is this is what this fan does in this particular area or this, you know, uh, this uh, even like just the the way the wayfinding aspect of like, you know, so we know that 60% of our fans enter through, you know, the main entrance and they're going to go either up to this area and if they go up to that area, these are the touch points that they're going to hit. Um, so just it's, it's a it's a more evolved analytical process um, now than what for sure what it was even 15 years ago. And I'm sure it's going to continue to grow on that uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, big data has kind of taken over every industry and especially sports right now. It may not seem like it to the outside world, but to people working in sport, that's all it is. It's all about numbers and statistics now. And then creating that generic profile, you can do it for many other profiles. It's not just one, you know, one for each gender. It's every single type of person you could think of. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the capacity and capabilities that are coming out for technology. You wouldn't go to a cashless environment if every iPhone allowed you to pay or attach your credit card to it or, you know, credit cards and debit cards are having the touchless ability. Uh, and so it all kind of just works hand in hand. Yeah, for sure. And, and even some of that, just like, you know, and I feel like we still have a somewhat older uh, fan base than most, but you're right. People are just way more familiar, way more comfortable, um, you know, having tickets on their phone or paying with their phone or just having that technology where this is not the first time they've ever done it. Um, because that that barrier to entry is is already being removed, um, then you know it, it opens up a lot more possibilities for sure. The Tampa Bay area seems to kind of be the place to be for professional sports right now. There's just been so much success. Uh, sadly, the Rays weren't able to pull off the World Series, uh, but I mean the Lightning won the Stanley Cup, the Buccaneers won the Lombardi Trophy. Uh, what do you think makes it possible that there's this many consecutive? trophies and this much success in one area yeah it's funny because you know i talked to you know talk to my counterparts over at the the bucks and the lightning and you know i joke with them it's like how do we make it to the world series and we're still the worst team in tampa bay like you know that's that just kind of this weird year um and it's funny because like even in that situation where you know imagine you know like three professional sports teams and there's also like a minor league hockey team that the rays own and they made it to the finals this year as well um and it's like all of the success, but the Lightning won the Stanley Cup in Canada. You know, the, the Rays are playing the World Series in Texas. Um, and even with the, the Bucks, you know, being able to play the Super Bowl they didn't, uh, in, in Tampa Bay, like it's not the same like excitement and connection because of kind of this like COVID, uh, COVID happening. Uh, 
Um, so it, it, it makes you more optimistic of the future uh, more than anything else, because like, you know, for us still 20, what, five plus years as an organization, um, there's still a lot of transplants in this area. Um, so any type of like connection or affinity building towards like team success and just being proud of Tampa Bay sports in general is something that is going to like have a lasting impact for the for organization moving forward. So um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy that at least things are opening up um, a little bit. Um, you know, the Lightning just announced that they're doing about 3,000 per fans. We just said we're going to have 9,000 per fans for this upcoming season. Um, so, you know, it, it's important to kind of build on that, uh, build on the success of, of the, the team, and then also kind of just make sure that you cultivate the relationships and grow from there. And not only during COVID time, but normal time too, how supportive are the lo- is the local government and community and businesses of the sport franchises? Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting um, because it's a lot better now than what it used to be when I first started. When I first started, there was a, a very big divide between Tampa and St. Pete and uh, for those not familiar, um, St. Pete is where the Rays play, and then Tampa is where both the Lightning and the Bucks play. And it's separated by a bridge, um, you know, maybe 15, 20 uh, minutes apart from each other. Um, but you would imagine that that bridge is an hour away between people's perceptions. Um, and there's not really a, a collaboration uh, as far as like the, uh, you know, now, unless it, Previously, there wasn't. Now there's a lot more with the Tampa Bay Sports Partnerships and we've, all the teams have kind of adopted this like Team Tampa Bay motto. Um, so there's a lot more connection as far as like synergy of things that we've worked with. Like I, I talked about, like, you know, I talked to my, my um, colleagues, that kind of parts of the Bucks and the Lightning, because like, especially when you're talking about foundation and community stuff, we're all trying to do good things. Um, you know, we're all trying to like reach, reach, uh, reach as many people as we can and impact as many people as we can. And we might go about it in different ways. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really just kind of that, that connection of, you know, what makes sense. Um, the, the interesting thing to, at least specifically for the Rays, will be the ballpark situation and trying to figure out exactly where that goes from here. We have until 2027, until the lease is up on the Tropicana Field site, um, we've proposed the idea of doing a sister city. Um, so that is splitting our time either in Tampa or St. Pete for the beginning part of the year. And then having the second half of the year in Montreal um, as kind of the, the sister city concept of it and our ownership group and our leadership. And I think, you know, we're all, we're all on board with this idea and this concept. Um, so there's still a lot of dialogue and conversation that needs to take place uh, between us and local governments to see exactly um, what's going to come to fruition. But um, I think, I think to some extent that like um, the, the, the local politicians and the local government agencies, there's a lot more trust now than there has been when we first started about the intentions of the organizations, what we do in the community, how we give back, how we're a valued community partner. Um, so I think when you're coming from a, a place of trust, um, it's a lot easier to have those conversations about what the future looks like than it would be if you are um, too adversarial. In St. Petersburg, uh, there's a lot of governing bodies and events such as Women's Tennis Association, there's minor league baseball, IndyCar races. What advice would you give to aspiring young professionals who look at the region and are open-minded and curious about sports and but don't really know a lot about those aspects? Most people know of the ML, you know, MLB, NFL, NHL, but to get started into those programs. Yeah, and, it, and it's great because uh, Florida is Florida's just has a lot of opportunities because you even talk about like the minor league baseball teams and spring training baseball that train kind of in the Tampa Bay area. IMG Academy down in Bradenton, um, you know, WWE, the, the Performance Center uh, out in Orlando. And right now they're, they're hosting their, um, 
their events over at Tropicana Field uh, with race play. Um, so there's just a, a lot of opportunities um, and also like the, the sports commission, the sports commission brings out events all the time. Um, you know, they're doing the NCAA tournament and the Super Bowl and uh, the World Sailing Championship. So um, the, the warm weather and the, the benefits of having kind of year round activity is, is such a huge uh, benefit to just kind of being in the state. Um, so even people on the, the video production side and the sports information side, there's just a lot more events because there's a lot more opportunities to kind of gain uh, that access. So um, in general, like my advice would just be to do the research, you know, like figure out exactly, um, you know, what event is and, and really how do you think you fit into that event or that organization. And then um, you just have to, you know, in general, probably more advice in general is like you just have to set yourself apart from other people. Um, because even now when we do, you know, hiring for uh, internships or full-time or full-time positions, um, you know, having the degree by itself isn't, isn't nearly enough. Um, you, you need to separate yourself out from other people. And the main reason people do that just by work experience, volunteer experience, whatever it might be. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be related to sports, although having that sports connection is extremely beneficial. Uh, but just having some experience besides a degree um, and then kind of knowing, I think it's equally as important to know what you don't like as it is to know what you like, uh, because it, it, it helps uh, kind of wade through all of the, the minutia of other stuff um, so you can kind of figure out where your passion is. So there seems to be a push recently to make baseball more consumable for the average fan um, and talking to my friends that are big fans of baseball and stuff, they they are for the push to make it more consumable just because they want more people to watch it because it can create more but there's also the the historical baseball fans that don't want anything changed although it's not rules but what are the ways that the rays and the mlb are trying to contribute to the push for this change and is it even possible yeah i mean so the the push is really coming from the commissioner's office more so than individual clubs but a lot of it is going to happen through the collective bargaining agreement. So like it's going to be the, the players and the owners deciding what the changes look like. So for this year, um, MLB instituted changes at the minor league level and they probably did a really smart job of where they separated by level. Um, so like, you know, triple A, double A, high A, single A all have like different rule changes they're implementing from like low A is implementing the, um, the automatic strike zone versus uh, high A I think is doing where the pitcher has to step off the rubber. And then double A is doing the 15 second pitch clock. And, you know, basically, you know, testing out each one of these in their own environment, at least allows you to kind of track those results. And I think it's very intentional that they did it this year leading up to the agreement ending in December um, so that they have some data to, in hand to, um, to figure out. Um, and the and commissioner has always been very, um, for the most part, he's been uh, not wanting to implement changes um, without the player's input. He, he wants like collective buy-in on something as drastic as like playing the way, uh, changing the way the game is played. Um, so I think, and I think over time, especially since at this point now, a lot of the, the guys from the minor leagues have already grown up playing with the, with the pitch clock in general, um, that you're, you're definitely going to see some of these changes as far as, you know, the pitch clock and automatic strike zone and the pace of play initiatives, like they're going to happen. And, you know, the, the extra, the DH, that stuff's going to happen in, in, in 2022, in my opinion. Um, but I, I think uh, at least having the data to push it forward goes from there. And then I think for, from the, the club's perspective, and I think really from the, the player side of it is that they just want to show more emotion. Um, I think it's more of that, you know, you know, let the kids play the, 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 the model they had did, but like, you know, it's okay to be you. It's okay to be loud. It's okay to show emotion. Like that is fun. And 
Um, our guys on our team are very like loose and, you know, very fun loving organization, very uh, loose atmosphere. So I think it's just kind of like showcasing players in that way. And um, I think that's one of the, probably the biggest benefits of, like social media is that you could get some of that behind the scenes content with players. Um, some of that interaction that you wouldn't normally see on the TV broadcast that, you know, you can follow on, you know, Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram and, and you know, all the other social media platforms that kind of makes sense to have that stronger connection. And the more, you know, the more you have the connection with the player, the more that you want to pay attention on TV or go in person. So it all, it all goes back to the business sense as well. Would some of these changes possibly include reducing or getting rid of blackouts for games or changing video and footage rights? You know, I hope so. Uh, I feel like that's probably one of the, the bigger issues is the, the blackout rules uh, for Major League Baseball, especially for the, the in, in-house rights. Um, but, you know, the, the TV partners pay a lot of money. So, like, you have to be very protective that you're not giving away an asset that the, the TV partners, um, you know, find valuable. Um, I, I hope there's a balance between the two, but I'm not exactly sure uh, what that balance is. Um, because really TV is the, the main driver uh, for revenue for, for, you know, for our organization. And I think a lot of other similar organizations, it's a bigger driver of revenue um, than, you know, TV, than attendance by itself. So, um, so it's, it's, it's going to be protective of the TV partners because you don't want them to be decreasing the TV value deals. And that's, you know, it's, and I think in general, like pro sports uh, might become more of like a, a made for TV audience. And, I know you and I were talking before we kind of got started on the broadcast just about like, you know, you know, a cord cutting and figuring it out. And like, I just signed up for Sling TV because I went to watch some of the NCAA March Madness tournament. And, you know, I haven't done that in the last, you know, year and a half, you know, so like, um, you know, but, but basically like TV or professional live sports is a driver uh, to get people to on the TV instead of just watching on Netflix or DVR or whatever it might be. And I think that's something that people are starting to they try to get around it by doing you know online streams they sign up for the the week free trial and do that stuff so it's going to be interesting what happens because not a lot of people are watching cable but at the same time a lot of the streaming services are becoming like a cable service um so it'll be interesting to see what the mlb and just pro sports in general change and how you know they evolve to kind of the online and the tv focused society right now yeah, it'll be interesting because like, you know, I think like, you know, the Apple TV and Hulu and some of these other channels as well are, are going to be into the bidding for, um, you know, for, for professional sports. And, you know, even when we talk about like local and the Pac-12 network, I mean, I think that their their next TV uh, broadcast rights deal is going to be very important for the conference. Just figuring out exactly what that revenue uh, situation looks like, because um, it's kind of been you know proven wrong in time at this point that the, the Pac-12 model hasn't been as successful as, you know, what was in, intended for it. So, um yeah, but that that's that's a huge impact on, on revenue. So like the, those decisions and probably getting the right commission in place is going to be very important for the future of the conference. And then speaking on WSU, uh, in a previous episode, I spoke with a 2005 alumnus, uh, Ryan Bates. He remembers he remembers helping start Zoo Crew. He remembers you. How do you remember that period of Zoo Crew being in school with Ryan Bates and just all around sport management of that era? Yeah, it was, it was good. I feel like, um, I think one of the biggest benefits of like being in the sports management program is that you just got the opportunity to kind of like work in the athletic department. So um, I was started working off in, in sports information under Rod Commons, who's a legend kind of in the sports information world. And then Ryan and my brother were in marketing at that time doing kind of the zoo crew stuff. And um, obviously like, you know, just the opportunity to kind of like be at the forefront in the beginning of it was uh, was phenomenal. Um, 
and and it's and it's it's funny because like you know really you know, I kind of remember Ryan more from just like being friends more than anything else like from the college experiences that like you know just people who are passionate about working in sports and wanting to do good and you know having some uh, fun intramural flag football games against each other and uh, you know just kind of just like the the normal connection but um, he was the one who kind of started the pipeline down to the, you know the the Rays organization he had did his internship uh, the semester before mine and I know when when they got like my application, um, the, the person who hired, uh, hired me said that he called Ryan. I was like, Hey, do you know a guy named Stephen Thomas? Um, and Ryan was able to say like, Oh yeah, we know, you know, about our history and, you know, and vouch for me. And, you know, that led to me coming down to Florida and that led to Stefan starting it down here as well. And, you know, kind of the, all of this paying it forward. So, um, you, you kind of, you know, it's like little small things, like, you know, you don't, you don't know, like when you're like, working in marketing department together at Washington State that like that connection is going to help you down the road, you know, five, 10, 15 years from now, but having that relationship and having that person that you can always go to and, you know, we're still friends and still talk to this day. So um, having that, uh, yeah, it's, it's beneficial. It's cool. Like it, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm proud that we've been able to kind of start and establish. And then during that era, I believe that they were, the university was thinking about you know, cutting the sport management program. Do you remember anything about that from that era? No, not, not really. Um, and, and, it's, and it's interesting because like, so I started off as a uh, public relations major and I was going to do a, a, a PR uh, or sports, a sports management minor and I ended up uh, flipping the two uh, because I just like, I like the, you know, I like the courses. I like, you know, uh, Professor Wong and um, uh, Professor Crawford were there and I just, I felt more of a connection um, to the, the sports management program than I did to the communications program at that time. And um, you know, and, and I, we talked about a little bit about this earlier, just that like the, the, the benefit of a sports management degree to me was that I got to do all of the, the practicum and internship hours. Um, so when I was in school, like, you know, I was, I was an RA uh, for three years. I had to get the sports information. I was the, the team manager uh, for the women's rowing team for a year. Um, you know, I had to get an internship with the Everett Aqua Sox for, um, for the, the summer short season in 2005. Um, so I, I don't think I would have had that wealth of experience for when I was like looking for, you know, a professional sports internship if I, if I didn't have the sports management degree. Um, so like, to me, the, the benefit of the, of it is that like, you, you always have these opportunities outside of the, the classes um, to make yourself stand out uh, more than just uh, the degree by itself. Well, thank you for joining us on this podcast. I appreciate all the advice and you know, best wishes on your future efforts and best wishes for the Tampa sports region. Uh, that's a lot of success and hopefully they can continue that. Uh, it has been great speaking with you and I hope, hope you keep in touch with the sport management program. I know uh, a lot of people would love to hear from previous alumni and uh, I think this is a great way to start. Uh, so thanks again and go Cougs. Go Cougs. Thanks Ryan. Really appreciate it.